1: 971 FM talk podcast takes my life never gonna get me out life I will live a thousand million lives my patience is welcome waiting. to the Mark Reardon show Brad Young sitting in today and uh, Hannah Gibbs is flying the plane hey Hannah uh, I gotta ask you a question okay when, whenever I at the at the end of the last hour I said, in the next hour, I'm going to talk about Illinois, and you literally you chuckled out loud. <laughs> I what what, did. what is it about Illinois that just made you laugh?
2: Everything about Illinois makes me laugh. Well, really, it makes me terrified because their policies and their leadership over in Illinois is just a train wreck. I usually work on the Annie Fry show. I'm the associate producer over there, and three out of the four or three out of the four of um members on the show, are from Illinois. So mm-hmm. we talk Illinois almost daily, and I just am mind-blown about the stuff that goes on over there. I'm lucky to have my Missouri roots and live over here where the legislation is a whole lot better because over there it's just unbelievable well I, I was, that go on. Well,
1: I was born in Illinois. All my relatives oh, are, really? are still live in Illinois. I
2: didn't know that.
1: And I only came to St. Louis to go to law school. And uh, so often my sisters, who still live there— Say they're going to come and move in with me because they, you know, it drives them crazy about all of the dumpster fire policies that get enacted uh, in the state of Illinois. It's crazy.
2: Yeah. JB Pritzker is just unbelievable. I mean, the stuff I hear about Illinois, it doesn't sound real. I can't believe, like, the Illinois Safety Act. I'm still not over that. (laughs) I don't know I'll ever get over that. I'll never forget when I first heard about it. And I just, and mind blown. I'm curious of what you're going to say.
1: Well, I always like it Illinois. when JB Pritzker talks about the the, uh, the the health of this Illinois residents because if you take one look at JB Pritzker, you can tell he's very concerned about health. <laughs> um, I, I'll leave it at that. But uh, I but know, I know right?
2: want... you could really go <laughs> in on that, but you really don't have to. No,
1: no, no. That's a that's a joke that has its own punchline. But I wanted to talk about. Speaking of dumpster fires, last week Illinois became the ninth state, to ban so-called assault weapons. But I don't even know what that means because the the progressive left today, they, they call any rifle that is a semi-automatic. Now, just to make sure if, for those who aren't uh, gun owners or firearm users, semi-automatic means you have to pull the trigger every time you want to shoot An automatic weapon, you hold the trigger down and it just sprays bullets. And an assault weapon, according to the U.S. government, an assault weapon is a fully automatic rifle. And those have been banned since the 1970s. You can't own an assault weapon, nor have you been able to own one and use one for the last 50 years. Uh, unless you're a collector and i know a collector that has a uh, a 45 fully auto tommy gun with the round cylindrical uh uh magazine and and that thing weighs my goodness it weighs like 100 pounds you've got to be you got to be uh hercules to carry it but you can't own those guns unless you have a special license so they've been banned forever But I I love it when Prisker comes and he shows up at this press conference and says they're banning assault weapons. They're already banned. Uh, But at the press release, uh, House Speaker, Speaker of the Illinois House of Representatives, Chris Welch, he described the guns that are targeted by this bill, which is called HB 5471. He calls them weapons of war. But again, a weapon of war is a fully automatic rifle not a semi-automatic rifle. So the rifle, the twenty-two that you have to shoot squirrels, according to the progressives in, in Chicago, could be classified as a weapon of war. Now, if you've ever... Hannah, I don't know if you've ever shot a, a .22 rifle before. <laughs> okay, you, it Okay. It, it, it will possibly kill a squirrel. Maybe. <laughs> if you hit it right, it's going to kill a squirrel. And to see that gun classified and called a weapon of war... Unless it's a war on squirrels, yeah. I don't understand how you could call it a weapon of war.
2: That is unbelievable. What did you say this bill is called?
1: It's called HB 5471, hmm. and it was just signed into law in Illinois last week. And it, to me, it it is so emblematic of the left in this country that think that they can do something by law. They can just change the law And somehow that's going to change the hearts and minds of the criminals. What do I mean by that? Go back to 1994. I believe that was the year when the last federal assault gun ban went into effect. During the Clinton administration, it lasted for 10 years, 94 to 2004. So for 10 years, manufacturers were prevented from manufacturing or selling anything that was classified even then as an assault rifle, which... I've already told you that's not what an assault rifle is, but that's what they did. Did that have any effect? Researchers have researched this extensively, and even pro-gun control advocates can't find any evidence whatsoever that those assault weapons bans did anything to protect anyone. Zero. Nothing. Not even the pro-gun control people and find that it made a difference. And this, again, shows how the left doesn't understand capitalism. Let me give you an example. And the same, the same madness is contained in this House Bill 5471. Because, like, for example, in the current bill that just was signed into law, pistol grips are banned. You can't have, if there's a pistol grip on a rifle, and, and if you've ever shot rifles uh, especially the higher caliber rifles, oftentimes there'll be a pistol grip at the end of the barrel. So if you're a right-handed shooter, your left hand would go on the pistol grip and your right hand would be on the gunstock where you pull the trigger. Pistol grips are banned. Now tell me, on what planet does the presence or the absence of a pistol grip make the person who's being shot at more or less safe? The pistol grip has nothing whatsoever to do with it. So instead of it being a pistol grip, what manufacturers can do is they can add something else and call it a pistol knob instead of a pistol grip and therefore get around the bill. Just by doing that one small thing, does that in of itself inherently make the gun more or less dangerous? Of course not. But when you're in the business of virtue signaling, like the progressives are in Washington, D.C. and the progressives are in Chicago and, and Springfield, Illinois, Simply passing this law makes you feel better at night because you get to go to all the parties and tell all your liberal friends what you're doing to take these nasty, dirty, evil guns off the street and you're really accomplishing something. When in reality, you're accomplishing nothing. So the the press release from, oh, here's another example I was going to give, from the 1994 assault weapons ban. It banned the way the, the military stocks that were sold, the military-style stocks that were sold for guns. Well, all people did was not use the military-style stocks. But if you can still shoot the same gun, the kind of stock that it has on it makes no difference, zero difference in whether that gun is used to kill people or not, zero. So, And that brings up really another point with this, and that is the intent, according to the the people who are at this signing ceremony— Last week uh, uh, up in Chicago, it says that the intent of these guns, the intent of the guns is to kill people. Well, how do you assign, and I'm, I'm quoting, that's exactly what the man said, but how do you assign an intent to an inanimate object? That's like saying the intent of my spoon is to make me fat because I love to eat ice cream, which I really don't. But in the example, follow the example. If ice eating ice cream makes you fat and that's something that perhaps governor Pritzker knows a lot about if you look at this then you're saying the intent of the spoon is to make me fat no 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 it's how i use the spoon do i use the spoon to feed my face ice cream or do i use the spoon to feed baby food to my child and then that tool can be used for good or it can be used for bad. The inanimate object cannot have a motive. It doesn't live. It's not alive, progressives. So it can't have an intent or a motive. So that's, again, something that the left simply does not understand. And this new law really, again, according to the signing statement, it begins this, and I'm quoting, begins the pushback against weapons whose only intent is to eviscerate other human beings, unquote. But part of the intent of owning weapons is to protect yourself. So then it becomes an instrument for good. If someone is attacking my house and I use that gun to protect my, my family, now that inanimate object is being used for good. And, uh, and in fact, there are so many instances across this country where weapons are used to stop criminals, and yet you never see them discussed on the mainstream media. You look at the guy in Houston, Texas last week, and I was just on with Mark last Thursday talking about this very issue, with the guy in Houston, in the, in the taqueria in Houston, who shot the criminal, the robber, who was robbing the customers of money he used that gun to protect himself and his fellow patrons in that taco facility, that taqueria. And that happens every day. Happens every day in this country, and yet that doesn't get publicized. And the other ludicrous idea of this assault weapons ban to show that it's just exactly virtue signaling, it doesn't help in reality in any way. Handguns account for by far and away the most murders in this country that are committed by guns. Why is that? Because handguns are used by criminals. And sorry, Governor Pritzker, but a a criminal doesn't care what the law is. They break the law. That's why they're criminals. So you simply passing a law that says you can't own or use this gun means that the criminals aren't going to pay any attention to it whatsoever. And under this law that is now in effect in Illinois, if you own a gun that's covered under this bill, you're allowed to keep it, but you're required to register that gun with the state. And just like we saw in Louisiana during uh, Hurricane Katrina, when that hurricane hit, the New Orleans police, the first thing they did was they went to homes that had guns registered and they confiscated someone's guns in the middle of that hurricane. Now, I can't think of a time in this country where you would need a gun more than in the midst of a hurricane. If there's robbing, if there's looting, if there's crimes and killing going on, you as a responsible homeowner, that's when you need that gun the most. And yet, the first thing the police did in New Orleans was confiscate the guns of law abiding citizens who actually followed the law to register their guns and did nothing nothing to confiscate the guns of those who were criminals and were using it for bad intent. So, yeah, this is a crazy law. And actually, um, I think there's probably a 62.5% chance it gets overturned on appeal by the U.S. Supreme Court. And of course, you know that 75% of all statistics are made up on the spot. So we'll see how that works out when it gets to the Supreme Court. Hey, we're going to take a break here. When we come back from this break, we're going to talk to one of my favorite columnists, Charles Lipson. He has uh, some opinions on the political fallout from the Biden document scandal, and we'll be talking to him next here on 97.1 FM talk.
3: Selling a little or a lot. to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow grow with Shopify sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast
0: all-star closer kenley jansen we have a question what's the best podcast of all time
1: Welcome back to The Mark Reardon Show. Brad Young sitting in today. And uh, I got to tell you, I love talking to Charles Lipson. Let me give you this setup. He lectured, President Biden lectured uh, us on the documents issue. He condescended. He harangued President Trump about keeping classified documents at his home. And yet now, now President Biden did the exact same thing. So with more details on this, we're speaking to my good friend, syndicated columnist, friend of the show, Charles Lipson. Charles, great to talk to you again.
4: What a wonderful introduction, Brad. Uh, I'm going to have you write my Vita.
1: <laughs> I could do that. Uh, okay. Just contact my law firm during the day, and I'll okay. be happy my to... My lawyer will
4: call your lawyer. i <laughs>
1: will be happy to do that for you. Uh, earlier in the show, I discussed some of the legal ramifications of Biden's DocuGate, but I wanted to talk to you about the political fallout. In In your most recent column on this, you state that Biden might pay a political price for staying mum about possessing the documents improperly. Tell us about that.
4: Well, I think he will pay a political price, and I think the price is getting higher. And in fact, uh, as more documents are discovered and as we're learning more, and I think it's likely to merge... Into some of the hunter Biden mess, hmm. why is that? because we're now learning uh, that um uh that the home where uh the corvette home uh <laughs> I, right, I, 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 we all know about skiffs, oh uh, yeah, se- secure I know. uh. Um, secure so
1: compartmentalized information facility. Yeah, yeah.
4: Exactly, but I've uh, decided the C should be Corvette. Oh, good. Se- secure Corvette information for uh, facilities the The fact is, Hunter Biden had access to that. Yes, and uh, you know he's just a um, he's just a cornucopia of problems for the president. Uh, and, so, uh, and we're now seeing that he was paying, he said, 49000 dollars a month to rent that place. At one point, he said he owned it. He didn't, but uh, you can't—and uh, that may have been a misstatement. That may have been his yearly rent, but in any event, uh, it's going to overlap, and there's going to be no way that they can find out who had— no. Uh, access to all these documents or the chain uh, uh, of custody since Biden left the White House. What a problem.
1: Yeah, it is a problem. So you see political fallout uh, regarding President Biden right now because of this, don't you?
4: Absolutely. And and in fact, uh, you can already see that Democrats are, uh, I don't think that they're concerned specifically about what is in the documents or not, I think what they're really concerned about is that he's a very weak candidate going into 2024. And so you're going to see Democrats, not Republicans, uh, trying to uh, push Biden out Mm -hmm. of the picture. But of course, they don't want him out of the picture before before 2024, because that leaves him with Kamala Harris,
1: (laughs) which doesn't really excite anyone. Uh, many people are screaming about the Justice Department's failure to disclose this breach of national security before the recent midterm elections. Do you think we should be paying attention to that angle here?
4: Well, I'm not sure the Justice Department is not uh, obligated uh, to do that. Normally, uh, these things come out as leaks, but the leaks are always against uh, Republicans. Isn't that experts.
1: interesting how that always happens just that way?
4: Yeah, but that, But of course, it's these are neutral experts, and we shouldn't question them. But I think one of the interesting questions that we need to know a little about is <clears throat> the Justice Department knew, about some of the Biden documents before they appointed a special prosecutor for Trump, right, on yes, those documents. Sure. And so we need to know, we need to understand uh what what was going on here uh, what what were they doing with one set of uh, one set of facts and not the other i i think it's a problem also because i think that the most fundamental thing that american citizens rightly Uh, demand is equal treatment. They don't want rich people Mm -hmm. treated differently from poor people. They don't want black people treated differently from white people. And they don't want politically connected people treated differently from the non-connected. And they do have a sense that Democrats are treated differently Mm -hmm. from Republicans. Look at how many uh, uh, classified documents Hillary Clinton had on her secure home server. Yeah, which was and in I the in her restroom. In
1: quotes, it was in her I restroom put, as I understand.
4: Well uh <coughs> yeah I don't want to make any jokes. <laughs> okay.
1: About three came to my mind but I, I will uh I will leave I will leave that alone. We're we're yeah. talking to syndicated columnist Charles Lipson. Uh, I read his work all the time. I'm on his email list. You'll need to do that too. We'll get to that in just a moment. But Charles politically How is this situation tying up Attorney General Merrick Garland like a pretzel? Uh,
4: I think that's right. Uh, A couple of years ago, uh, or just as Biden was trying to appoint the cabinet, I said that the most thankless job in the cabinet was going to be the attorney general. And it was already obvious that the attorney general was going to have to deal with the Hunter Biden things. But now we've got not two, but three special counsels. Remember, we have the Russian collusion hoax special counsel, uh, Durham. Uh, uh, you couldn't convict anybody in a Washington or Northern Virginia uh, a courtroom because, you know, they 96 percent, I think, voted for President Biden. These are these are like um, white people in uh, Mississippi in the 1940s being charged mm-hmm. with a crime of violence against a black person. They were just going to be uh, excused uh, for it. So, uh, but I do think that Merritt Garland is in a, a terrible position, and you can see that because he's subcontracting all the important work of the Justice Department to special counsels.
1: Which is easy. I wish I could, you know, subcontract all of my work out to other people. That would that would be uh, that'd be a nice way to get your job done. But it does well, put. Are you in,
4: filling? Are you filling in for Mark Ruden? Well,
1: yeah, but he's subcontracting <laughs> out to me.
4: <laughs> I, there,
1: there's nobody to fill in for me. I'm the guy that gets uh, it should. subcontracted to.
4: I see. I so see I, I guess technically, okay. it's the, Mark we've got to yes. blame for the, all this. So hey, you're, you're the special uh, special counsel for him?
1: Exactly. That's it. And uh, uh, I, I hope the other special counsel in, uh, is making more than I am on this gig. But, I was, <laughs> but it, <laughs> whoops, I didn't mean to let that slip out. Uh, uh, but but he, but yeah, here's
4: like I I believe that you are worth. A minimum wage per hour oh
1: thank you Charles you know that means a lot to me that that means a very much to me uh, and and we've talked about these obvious comparisons to uh, between President Biden's situation and President Trump's classified document troubles but they are different how do you see them being different
4: well I, I've listened to both people on the left and right Uh, explain the differences. And there are a number of differences. Uh, The people on the uh, on the left say, well, you know, Biden immediately turned everything over and blah, blah, blah. And then whereas Trump fought it, on the other hand, uh, people on the right say, "Well, Trump is in a position to declassify documents in a way that the vice president was not." Exactly. Uh, it, 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 um, there, uh, there, uh, the documents in Biden's case were moved a number of times. A lot of people seem to have had access to them. You know, there, there just are a number uh, of differences. But in the end, I think that the. That it will be impossible to criminally prosecute trump for uh for the documents if you don't prosecute Biden now there are two key points there: one is that trump is uh trump denied that he had any more documents in writing uh at a certain time, and that can be called obstruction of justice uh so that that's a potential problem. The other is that uh, the Justice Department has a long-standing rule several decades old that you can't charge a sitting president with a crime. You can name him as an unindicted conspirator or something like that, but you can't charge him with a crime, and that makes sense. Otherwise, the Justice Department would be in a position uh, to do what the Congress can do with impeachment. I mean, that's an impeachment issue, not a, not a criminal Correct. issue. So uh, there are Im- important differences, but I think the political point here is uh, drip, drip, drip. Yep. Uh, do people remember uh, the Tylenol um, uh, poison Scared. issue yep. many, many years ago? And what we learned from that is the two basic tenets of crisis management. Get, tell the truth, and get everything out all at once. And the Biden administration has violated both.
1: Well, and they certainly have. And just like we see with so many political scandals, that's really oftentimes worse than the underlying potential criminal activity that they're trying to cover up.
4: Right. They sent Biden out to read a very carefully crafted, obviously crafted by a lawyers, statement about, you know, just this one set of documents when they already knew there were more. So, uh, all of this undermines Uh, any the credibility and you can see how much is undermined it because if uh, the the uh, White House briefing room has shown mainstream news reporters uh, all over the case trying to get at it now the next question is will they actually do any real reporting and investigating or just question the White House
1: that's exactly right we're talking to syndicated columnist Charles Lipson and Charles uh, I I wanted to get this in before we have to take Mm -hmm. a break And that is this. You mentioned that the the mainstream media and we know we all know anyone with a brain knows that the mainstream media obviously skews left. And uh, and, but this situation, I think, places the media in in a position where they're more tied up than Merrick Garland because of how the media reported when President Trump's documents were found at Mar-a-Lago. They're now forced to cover this story in a way that they probably wouldn't have covered it but for what happened to Donald Trump. Do you agree with that?
4: I agree with that, and I've watched CNN and others. I I think that you should draw a distinction, at least I do, uh, between the media's criticism of a Democratic president when he's in office and when he's running against a Republican in a campaign year. Uh, They may be critical of a Democrat, when he's uh, sort of standing alone as the president. And you see the media doing that now. But as soon as Ron DeSantis emerges as the main candidate against him and it becomes one-on-one, they tend to group Mm -hmm. back around their preferred party. And I think that all of that is an abdication of journalistic responsibility. What you're... what your radio station does is opinion and talk, right? Uh, and every newspaper uh, has has a section for doing that, but that's different from hard news reporting. And we see that that's just collapsed in this country.
1: It, it has, and and when you're talking about these documents, though, uh, I I, I want to squelch this rumor right here, Charles. There's yep. no truth to the rumor that President Biden's doctors recently found more classified documents during his most recent colonoscopy. That is false. <laughs> that is not true, okay?
4: Not true. That is but not you, true. But, but remember a uh, former national security adviser Sandy, <laughs> Sandy Berger stuffed them down <laughs> his socks.
1: Yes, yes he did and uh, he was convicted of a misdemeanor on I think it was in 2005 that that happened. Uh, Charles, I always enjoy when I see your name pop up in my inbox with your articles. Tell us if folks want to get on your email list so that they can read your insight, your humor, your analysis that you have in your columns. How can they do that?
4: Uh, just go to my website, which is Charles Lipson L-I-P-S-O-N uh, dot com, and there's a sign up form, and it's free. Uh, uh, all, uh, I send out to everybody who's on the list a summary of my latest op eds. I write about one or two a week, and um, and if and it's easy to get off the list if they're uh, if they're so inclined. So I look forward to. Uh, I always enjoy talking with you, Brad, and with Mark, and I, I love having listeners from St. Louis. As I always. Uh, Tell uh, Mark, you know, I grew up listening to St. Louis radio in the Mississippi Delta mm. because we Cardinals. did KMOX. Yep. Well, I'll
1: uh, I'll be on KMOX Wednesday night. So uh, yeah, it's a it's a great station, and we carry on that that tradition of excellence here on ninety seven one FM Talk. And thank you so much, Charles, for joining us this afternoon.
4: My appreciation to you, Brett.
1: It's great to I love interviewing Charles. He uh he he's insightful, he's funny, and he's also spot on when it comes to his analysis. Always enjoy talking to Charles Lipson. We're going to take a break when we come back. I'm going to talk about a, a legal case that the Supreme Court has decided to take this term where the the state of Minnesota literally stole a house from a elderly woman and they think they should get away with it. Coming up next here on 97.1 FM Talk. Don't go away.
0: This
4: past
1: Friday, uh, the Supreme Court decided to hear a case challenging the constitutionality of a Minnesota state law, which essentially did this. And this has happened on many occasions. But the state law allows the state to literally take ownership of a house if someone owes back taxes on it. But here's what most people don't understand. That if there's more equity in the house than what the taxes are owed, the state gets to take and keep the equity as well. Now, let me break this down to let you know why I'm so upset about this. This is a specific case. It's a 93-year-old widow. Her name is Geraldine Tyler. She had a house. She got behind in covid She's 93, by the way, and did I mention she's 93? (laughs) That's that's relatively important to this, and I'll tell you why. Because her taxes piled up eventually to the point where she owed $15,000. She lives in in the Minneapolis-St. Paul area. My oldest daughter lives there. Taxes are very high in Minneapolis because it's very progressive. So, in in it was uh, last year, actually it was two years ago, where the state came in, the state of Minnesota came in, foreclosed on her house because she owed fifteen grand in taxes. Now the house, this shows you she wasn't living in a huge house. It was worth forty thousand dollars. It was actually I believe it was a condo, but forty thousand dollars was the sale price of this condo. But instead of paying. Geraldine Tyler, the 15 or keeping rather the 15 grand and paying her the equity that she had in her condo, the state of Minnesota kept the entire amount. They kept $40,000 from the sale of this condo when they only owed in the plan, the person only owed 15 grand in taxes. Now, in what context is that not legalized theft? It's legalized theft. And there are several legal issues to this. First of all, under the Fifth Amendment, there's something called the Takings Clause. And under the Fifth Amendment Takings Clause, it says, quote, nor shall private property be taken for public use without just compensation. And there's actually a legitimate use for governments with the Takings Clause. If you look at any highway that's ever been built— they had to happen because of the takings clause, because if you're putting a highway down a specific corridor, let's just say 170 here in the St. Louis area, if you're putting in that highway and someone who's got a house right in the middle says, I don't want to sell, then the highway, the entire highway project gets stopped. Can't do that. What about putting up a hospital or uh, other type? But highways are the most, the most uh, extreme example. They're rather, the one that's used the most is with highways. Because you can't allow one person who doesn't sell their property to block the entire interstate from going in. So the takings clause allows the government to take that property, but they have to pay the person for it. You can't just take it. You have to pay them for it. So in this instance, when they took, when the state of Missouri, I'm sorry, the state of Minnesota took this person's house, took her condo, they can't keep the entire 40000 but that's what Minnesota state law allows them to do. There's also something under the Eighth Amendment because the Eighth Amendment says excessive fines shall not be imposed. Under the Eighth Amendment, but isn't that what Minnesota has done here? If the taxes are only fifty thousand or fifteen thousand dollars, but the condo's worth forty, that means in essence that they've given a twenty-five thousand dollar fine to this person. Because they had to take her house to get the 15 grand in, in taxes. That's outrageous. But what's outrageous about this is, is that it happens all the time. There are many, many states that have these kinds of laws that say if we take your house, if we take your property, we can keep all of it, even the equity that's built up in it. Which to me is astounding. Because the to me, the greatest power that the government has the greatest power that the government has is to put you behind bars or to take your life if you commit a crime. That's the most extreme act that a government can take against you. And that's why we have so many laws in this country, so many doctrines, legal doctrines, that are designed to protect people from an overreaching, tyrannical government that's going to come in and take away your freedom. But to me, right below that, right below that, that power of the government to take away your freedom and to execute you for a crime, right below that, in terms of the severity of powers, is the power to take your property. Because if the government comes and takes your house, you are now homeless. You know, There's this big issue, uh, even in California, they're trying to, to address this issue of homelessness in California. But this is government-imposed homelessness when the government can come and literally take your property. And so to me, what's also just unbelievable about this, and by the way, the Supreme Court has agreed to take it up, and I think that you will find that the Supreme Court will reverse this case on the grounds that it violates both the Fifth and the Eighth Amendment. And so you're going to see states now being prohibited, prohibited, from literally taking your home and keeping every part of the equity that you have in that home. And that's good because the government has to be kept in check. And shouldn't the left be as outraged over this as I am? Because look at it from this political perspective. The, the, the plaintiff in this case, she's an elderly woman, and her home was just stole stolen by the state. So if the left is here to protect the downtrodden, to protect the poor, to protect the elderly. This lady is all of those things. And yet it's the government that's persecuting her. And it's going to only take the Supreme Court. The conservatives on the Supreme Court are probably going to reverse this case. And yet the liberals who sit on the Supreme Court probably will sit there and be all in favor of the state of Minnesota taking this woman's property and keeping the proceeds. Why is that? Because I think the progressive left is far more interested in separating everyone from their money and possessions rather than standing up for the rights of the poor and the oppressed. I really I believe that. And this case shows it because only blue states, only Democrat controlled states are the states who have these kinds of laws that allow the state to literally take your home and give you nothing for it simply because you owe back taxes. That's the only reason. She didn't commit a crime other than not paying her taxes. She didn't kill anyone. She didn't steal anything. She simply didn't pay the government what the government said, you owe me, and so we're going to take your house. And it seems like this should be the kind of situation where the left should be standing up for this woman and championing her cause, but they're not. And a lot of this gets back to to the progressives in this country don't understand capitalism even. Let me give you a a great example of this. 2021 in St. Paul, they passed a law in St. Paul to limit the rent increase to 3% a year. 3% a year. Well, when you place a limitation on how much a landlord can charge in rent, what do you think happened? Capitalism works every time. Now there's been a historic Drop in building permits of over 80% in St. Paul while the building permits in the rest of Minnesota are going up. Why? No one's going to build apartment buildings if they can't charge rent. It's just, it's common sense. But the left doesn't understand common sense. And that's why they can't understand why stealing a house from a 93 year old woman is wrong. Hey, coming up after the break. Will we be saying goodbye to the gas stoves in America? If you have a gas stove in your house, is AOC going to come and rip it out of your house because of global warming? Stick around. We'll be talking with an expert on that right after this on The Mark Reardon Show, 97.1 FM
0: Talk. Get more at 97.1talk.com. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time?